Hey, what's up? This is Bill Burr, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Um, keep listening, because if you're like me, you have nothing better to do. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, our old friend comedian Steve Byrne. It was reminiscent of your early years of doing stand-up because it's such a euphoric feeling when you're done. It's like, oh, I can't wait to do that again. But yeah. Like, well, I'm not a singer. That band is drowning me out. So. <laughs> you know, it's um, it, it was it was a great experience, um, but I'm definitely not, <laughs> not a singer by any stretch. As always, a great chat with Steve. We have the song of the week coming up from Rag and Bone Man. But first, uh, not so much a dumb bit, so much as a kind of a fun bit uh, involving baseball. Uh, I will explain when we get there. We were in Chicago over Easter weekend because uh, we like Chicago a lot. Although it's weird, I always tell people I love Chicago, I hate all their sports teams. And mostly because most of their sports teams compete directly with all of my teams. For example, the Indians are in the same division as the White Sox. The uh, Bulls are in the same division as the Cavaliers. Uh, The Chicago Blackhawks hockey team is in the same division as my St. Louis Blues. Uh, the only team that doesn't really seem to be affected uh, is the Chicago Bears, uh, who I have really no opinion on. They're fine. I don't care either way. And uh, their soccer team, the Chicago Fire. Again, uh, I, I guess they're in the same division as the Columbus Crew, but I'm not as uh, passionate about the crew as I am my, my other teams. I need to find a soccer team to really get behind. Um, the, a word on the street is that they're, they're pushing our, uh, our uh, uh, I guess we're the third division down, second division down, uh, FC Cincinnati uh, Football Club to uh, get up to MLS. Uh, it's a long shot, but it's one of the cities mentioned, so I could I could get behind that. So anyway, um, we were in Chicago, and uh, we didn't realize we were going to see all the Chicago Cubs fans with all, or the people coming to see the Cubs. Oh God, what a uh, just it, really depressing. It's like seeing your your you know your uh, your ex girlfriend out with some handsome dude, you know, and they're wearing their all World Series championship stuff and all that stuff. Oh, just just painful, 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 painful. And if you listen to the episode a couple of weeks ago with Jimmy Pardo, who is a White Sox fan by the way, from the South Side of Chicago, still was trying to convince me though. But it was a great story. You have to admit, as a baseball fan, PF, and I wasn't having it. <laughs> I was not having it. So anyway, found something fun uh, on the internet. Uh, the other day, and I thought I would share it with you folks. Now, you you folks may think that you know your guy is is the guy you know to call uh, your favorite teams games. And I used to think that I felt this way because it was my teams. Um, because growing up listening to Joe Tate call Cavaliers games, well, you can't do any better than that. And the reason I became a St. Louis Blues fan is because uh, we lost our hockey team in Cleveland. And I was spinning around the dial one night, and I found the St. Louis Blues, uh, be the play-by-play being called by the very great Dan Kelly. Now, the new guy they have sounds almost exactly like Dan Kelly. It's really weird. Now, my friends in Pittsburgh lament that because uh, I was, you know, spending a lot of time in Pittsburgh, and you'd think I would have become a Penguins fan. And I would have, and their play-by-play by, uh, play-by-play guy, by the way, great, Mike Lang. Uh, I'm not sure if he's even still doing it, but growing up, he was the guy, and I would say a very, very, very close second to Dan Kelly. And had I heard him first, I would have been a Penguins fan. I think the problem was uh, the Penguins were on a station that could not reach Cleveland, and the Blues are on KMOX, which is a big 50,000-watt clear channel. It goes all the way across the country, uh, or half the country kind of situation. So that probably was what tipped the balance there. So anyway, um, now our new guys that do the play-by-play for the Cavaliers are okay. I don't like them as much as Joe Tate, but they're they're fine. I mean, if I was not already a Cavaliers fan, they would not make me fans of the game. 
But uh, we have a guy who calls the Indians games, Tom Hamilton. He's been doing it for about 20 years. He came in when Herb Score was kind of going out. Herb Score was our old play-by-play guy. He was a former pitcher for the Tribe years and years ago. Called the games for years and years. Uh, Joe Tate, I think, called the games with him for a while. And then we got Tom Hamilton, or Hammy as we call him. And, uh, well, Hammy has, uh, I would challenge you to find a better home run call uh, in baseball. Here's an example. Swung in and belted to deep left. Away, back, gone. Of course, we heard a lot of those last year, winning the American League pennant, and it never, ever gets old. There's a Facebook page called Tom Hamilton has the best home run call in baseball. So we get a lot of those. And there's also a couple other uh, famous calls he makes uh, that are, well, well, like this. Swing and a miss, ball game. Now, our Marty Brenneman here in Cincinnati is also very good. In fact, he kind of has made me a fan of the Reds. And speaking of Marty, by the way, super nice dude. He lives in the same suburb that I do. And I ran into him in the grocery store one time when, when Fangirl was little. And I kind of knew him to say hello to because uh, the radio show I used to work on is on the same station that carries the Reds. And even though he's employed by the Reds, not the station, uh, he would come by the, uh, the radio show a lot. So I knew him to say hello to, and I thought, well, this is the one and only time I'll bug Marty Brenneman. And I did, and he was super, super nice, was real nice to fangirl and everything. So Marty's super great guy. Just, he's just not Tom Hamilton, I'm sorry. Uh, and even uh, Brenneman will say that uh, Hammy's got a great home run call. So anyway, here's, here's the, the, um, the piece de resistance, as we say. Uh, uh, the thing I found on the internet is either Major League Baseball or the Indians. I can't tell which. Let me look at the website here. One of the two or both. I think it's actually, no, it's MLB.com uh, forward slash Cleveland. So maybe it's the Cleveland Indians page on the uh, MLB website. Anyway, they have a whole soundboard of these things and they are downloadable. It is the greatest thing ever. There's about a dozen of them on here. And uh, when these first went up, somebody mentioned, hey, you forgot this one. And we're underway at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. And uh, hopefully they'll add more there because he also says uh, when the game is uh, tied or uh, the Indians have tied the game in the late innings, he'll say they're on their feet here at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. So, uh, boy, just really good stuff. And I could listen to these things all day long. And, and all, the, all the Indians fans say the same thing. Uh, now, in a related matter, real quick, I'll mention that uh, in a couple of weeks, hopefully, I want to get a guy on the show uh, that I follow on Twitter. He is a fan of the team. He is not a fan of the name or the logo. We're going to get into that. I have some mixed emotions about that. We're not going to get into that right now. Uh, for right now, we're just going to enjoy this. A swing and a drive to deep left. Away, back, gone. Because nobody could take offense to that. And hopefully we'll be hearing a lot more of that this season. As of this recording, we are in first place. Uh, just about to play the Chicago White Sox again at U.S. Cellular Field. Pfft, it's Comiskey Park. And, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. And now, uh, on with the rest of the show. Steve Byrne is a stand-up comedian who was born in New Jersey but raised in Pittsburgh. He's a friend of a friend of ours in Pittsburgh. He's a friend of the show here. And uh, this is probably his third or fourth time on the tape recorder. Here now is our newest interview with comedian Steve Byrne. How are you doing? Doing good. Good. Very well. Thank you for calling. No problem. Good to talk to you again. Um, So, uh... Last time we spoke, uh, there was that big shakeup at TBS, and uh, you were coming off that and focusing on stand-up. Uh, what have you been doing lately? Uh, 
Well, right now I'm recovering from last night because <laughs> um, I'm here at this uh, Wild West Comedy Festival and I did the oh, okay. goddamn comedy jam where you get, you know a comedian goes out and does stand up and then you sing a song and oh wow you know, I sang uh, the Killers last night and the what's up which what song all there and well, uh, the Killers Mr Brightside there you go nice we did that and then you know a bunch of comedians are all hanging out and we're out till pretty late here in Nashville so. Licking my wounds, but yeah, ever since um, ever since the Sullivan song got canceled, I, I basically focused on a new hour, which just came out on Showtime. So it takes me like two, two and a half years to, you know, from pen to paper to the director's just cut, and then you know it gets acquired by Showtime. It just took a while, but um, now I'm writing another scripted show. I just wrote a feature, and I'm working on a documentary on uh the amazing jonathan uh a really popular comedian oh um, yeah in the 90s he was a vegas headliner yeah and he was given this terminal diagnosis on this uh, heart condition cardiomyopathy that's right and um he was told he had a year to live three and a half years ago and he just got tired of sitting around waiting to die so he said i'm gonna get back out there so we documented his return to stage and then obviously took a stroll down memory lane in his career and we're in the kind of final stages of editing it, so we're pretty excited. That's cool. Yeah, I forgot about the amazing Jonathan. I I think I saw him in Vegas, like one of the first times we ever went there. Right before, I think it was right before uh, the diagnosis, actually. So um, yeah, he's such a he's such a great guy. He's a sweet sweet man. But I mean, I was always a sucker. I'm a sucker for magic. But yeah, when you combine the fact that all of his tricks, you know, gloriously failed. <laughs> um. You know, there's a there's what I learned in, in working on it is like it's one thing to do a magic trick, but it, it it fails. But there's a creative way to make a joke, to make a trick fail, but get a laugh out of it. And he found he'd always find these moments where he could twist the uh, the magic trick in there and get a joke out of it. And that's that's the difficult part. That's the creative part. I, I really respect him for it. Yeah, it's strange. Magic is one of those things that, in one respect, it's looked down upon in show business. But for the people that do it really well, like he and uh, Penn and Teller and people like that, it's really respected. Like uh, impressions too is another one. If, if you're if you're good doing impressions, like Mike McRae or Frank Caliendo, you're a genius. But if not, yeah. <laughs> you're you're even hackier than the hackiest hack. That's it's so strange yeah. the way that works. Definitely, yeah. It's um. I don't know. It's that's why I think the cream definitely rises to the top in either of those professions because it's one of those things that everybody, you know, is an amateur at some point. And, and yeah, it's, but that's you, true. When you really find your own niche and voice in it, then you know, you know. Yeah, and I, singing kind of the same way. Although I think people are more forgiving uh, of singing. Part of why I never having this conversation, kind of comparing when people like me go to an open mic just as a laugh, you know, just to, just, just to do it, just to see what it's like. And, uh, you know, to, to keep my chops a little bit. So I know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to folks like you, um, in a verse, people sing karaoke and I see, you know, and he goes, well, it's a little harder for an open mic because if they don't like it, an open mic, they'll let you know. And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's probably true. People seem to be more forgiving of, a in karaoke, you kind of expect it to be bad. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, did you sing much? I didn't. I didn't know you were. Uh, you had a singing no, voice. No, not a singer at all. Oh. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, you, you, you doing that goddamn comedy jam. It's it's a show in comedy central. It's really nerve wracking because you're taking 
you need entitled elements, and I was telling Josh Ademeyer, the host of it, I just said, you know, it's um, it, it's reminiscent of the early years of doing stand-up because it's such a euphoric feeling when you're done. It's like, oh, I can't wait to do that again. But it's yeah. like, well, I'm not a singer. That band is drowning me out. So, <laughs> you know, it's... um. It was it was a great experience, um, but I'm definitely not not a singer by any stretch. Uh, do you feel a little braver now, though? If someone were to come to you and say, "Hey, we've got this thing we want to do, but it's going to involve you know, it's it's funny, but it's also going to involve some singing." Do you think you'd be more up for that now, or would pretty much be the same response you would always would have had? No, probably not. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, I my throat's a little scratchy right now, even, and I think I just I don't know how to sing. There's there's definitely an art to it that. I think it takes years to develop and, you know, appreciate respect. And I, uh, I'd rather just go and tell my dick jokes in a, in a club <laughs> in front of 250, 300 people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's true with any, with any art form. It's like, you know, the, the, the good ones make it, uh, look easy. And, you know, a lot of people always say you know, the, you, we shouldn't have shows like, uh, American Idol because, you know, people take, take a, uh, a shortcut to fame and I'm like well you don't realize there's a lot of those people like Carrie Underwood she was singing demos in Nashville when she got that show and um, Kelly Clarkson was singing demos for uh, Carol King and Jerry Goffin they just, these people didn't come out of nowhere you know yeah yeah. Uh, what, what's your opinion of like those comedy uh, like last comic standing things like that which I guess we're not doing anymore but uh, it, it, are you a fan of the competition thing because some people are but some people are like eh it's what's the point I think it's like, look, in the landscape of television, everything's so factored. I think there's a niche for everything. And, um, you know, with all those competition shows, of course, it was going to happen with stand-up at some point. But stand-up, you know, it's just subjective. It's so subjective that what one person likes, another person is not going to like. And when you have a wide swath of America watching comedy, it's like on, on any given show, you could see somebody in the mold of Larry the Cable Guy and then somebody in the mold of David Cross, and it's like, well, how are you going to pick between these two? Because there's such yeah. a disparity between those voices. So, I, you know, I, I think it's just, you know, again, it's up to the audience member to to dictate if they're going to go and buy, spend 20 bucks to go see that person or not. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, it tends to favor uh, short-form comics. Like, for a guy like Rocky Laporte, it was an excellent fit because he's just got a bunch of short jokes and, you know, tiny little stories where other people, you know, like maybe a Gary Goldman who can go on for like eight, nine minutes about a cookie, you know, it's a, a little hamstrung. So it's just, it's interesting the way those yeah, exactly. things work out. Um, getting back to the documentary thing, you, you a fan of documentaries? Huge fan of documentaries. I love documentaries. I spend probably most of my free time watching docs when everybody else is watching you know, binge watching their favorite TV show, I'll probably go through two or three docs. Um, that's kind of, I don't know, the one genre I just appreciate. I love exploring a fascinating social subject or somebody's life. Um, I, I don't know, to me, I, I've loved them ever since I was in college. So to get to have the opportunity to get to work on one is, uh, you know, not only an immense responsibility, but a true pleasure because, you know, Jonathan's. You know, life is kind of in my hands, and I get to mold it any which way I want. But I've known him for so long; I definitely want to do right by him and um, and make him seen in a good light, but also an honest light. You know, I don't want to, uh, you know, cut any corners because there are some parts of his life where he uh, <laughs> you know, he took liberties with his friendships and I, I think his own health. So, um, you know, we're not sugarcoating it by any means, but we're also, you know. 
making sure that we do right by him. You know. So, what docs can you recommend? Oh God! I mean, there's just it's <laughs> so many. I American Movie is probably one of my favorite documentaries of all time, and it's about this guy who's trying to make a horror film in Wisconsin, and it goes on for probably eight or nine years. Oh my gosh! It, it's uh, it's a fascinating documentary. It's one of the first that kind of like peeled back the curtain, and, and it was more about the subject than it was anything else. Uh, the Imposter is a great one. Uh, if you like, kind of like those. Um, it's a difficult one to to describe, but it's it, it's it's a phenomenal documentary with a lot of twists and turns, and almost like a crime thriller. And that probably came out five or six years ago. That's one of the few I bought immediately, and I'm like. You know, it's kind of got this sixth sense ending, and once you know it, it's like, well, why would I buy it? I, I already know how this yeah. twist ending, but uh, but it's a great one as well. Um, there's just so many, um, and the fact I get to put one out there uh, relatively soon is, I hope people enjoy it. I hope people enjoy it as much as I enjoy documentaries. So, when's that going to come out, and where will people be able to find it? I think definitely within the next year. Um, we're not sure of the platform yet because, again, I think just a few years ago you go and do the festival circuit and hope it gets acquired for distribution. But nowadays, you know, with Netflix, with Hulu, with Amazon, with all the cable channels, it's like, you know, you could personally just knock on the doors and hopefully they acquire it and put it up on the network within two to three months. So that's um, that's the goal because I think the festival route is just a lot more difficult. you got to know how to, it's almost like running for office. you got to know the landscape and have a strategy. You can't just go off the strength of your film and hope to God that people show up. I think there's a whole marketing campaign that goes into it, politics. So I'd rather just, uh, you know, put all these networks and see if they'll, if they go. Yeah, it's so, and there's so many good ones out there. You look at your, just at the Netflix queue alone, like you're saying, and there's just tons of them. And then PBS has tons of them. And you've got like shows like Nova. Uh, it's just crazy. And uh, I think the last one I ended up watching was actually a long form one was the Roosevelt's. Yeah, yeah, and uh, boy, those are it's that's a commitment. But man, you're always glad you you took the time to watch what all you know, ten, twelve, thirteen episodes that it was. Yeah. So, um, you make it back to Pittsburgh very often. I was just there every month, month and a half ago, and then Billy and I were talking about doing a show together sometime in the fall. So, yeah, I mean, it's always nice to get to go back to your hometown and and see old friends and you know eat all the all the spots you loved going to as a kid. Um, and then obviously, you know, being immersed in in the Pittsburgh Penguins culture. I was going to say, yeah. Being in a city where other people know and follow the team, it's great to just sit at the Manny Brothers and talk to some locals. And next thing you know, you're talking about the team you love. And, you know, an hour goes by and it's in like 15 minutes. It's just so great to go back home. I, I love the city. And I remember you were originally from New Jersey, but you moved when you were a kid to Pittsburgh. But you're a, a Pittsburgh supporter when it comes to sports for the most part. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I grew up in Jersey. Um, I, I was born there, and I moved when I was probably like eight or nine. Okay. So, you know, like my formative years were in Pittsburgh. I was going to say, yeah, this, when, when you first started interested in sports is uh, right around that time. Um, yeah, I saw yeah. loads of friends there. Like, I, you know, my friend Mike Travers, of course, and uh, there's um, there's been some discussion of us going back to visit, but uh, we haven't quite gotten that uh, sorted yet. Uh, and yeah. unfortunately, I'm a Penguins fan by osmosis. Uh, it never quite took because I became a St. Louis Blues fan before uh, before my friends in Pittsburgh got to me. But um, 
Yeah. So um, what else have you been up to as far as like on stage? We were talking last time you, you, you gotten to really explore, you know, uh, your your personality and getting things more personal. Is that still kind of the direction things are moving in or have current events kind of uh, moved in on that a little bit? Because everyone seems to be talking about that and you really can't seem to get away from that. I guess that is true. If you're building an hour and you're in, it's you know, you're getting to the two year mark, you might find things that even though they were funny when you first put them on stage, maybe even not even current events related, but maybe stuff in your life or stuff that's happening in the world might affect. Maybe that that's not gonna. Does that ha- do you find that happening, or you have you have a really good bit, but you think, well, this was probably funny two years ago, and I don't know when other people were dealing with this certain thing in their lives, but now maybe it's not as uh, it was relevant. Does that happen? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why if I think if you look back, at least, you know, for a, a select group of comics that have uh, multiple hour specials, you can look back and see the things that you thought were funny or things that were significant in your life 10 years ago, or whatever, and they're, they're just not as much anymore. So it, it, it's also a good reflection to see the growth um, and maturity, I guess, in the writing um, or what it is you're trying to communicate. Definitely. Cool. So uh, uh, apart from the documentary, is there any other kind of mediums you still want to conquer? Uh, a book, perhaps, or anything like that? Or have you kind of gotten to do what you want to do and just want to you know, continue to play the bigger rooms? Uh, and- yeah, I think, uh, look, if we get this scripted show back up, uh, a new scripted show on its legs, uh, that, that'd be an amazing accomplishment. I think we got a great shot at it. I wrote a feature script about my early years in stand-up and... Um, Vince Vaughn and I are collaborating on that right now. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully we get these um, other projects up and running because the grind of being on the road the last 20 years is starting to catch up to me and traveling is just not what it used to be, um, you know, for anybody. I, you know, going to the airport and slugging through these, these airline, you know, lines themselves, it's just, it, it's taking a toll. And, you know, whereas before being a stand-up comedian, there's always just, such a blessed um, occupation, slowly it's becoming more of a job. It's becoming work. Um, and it's, I would say most of it is because of the travel aspect. Oh, the, yeah. the hour I'm on stage is fascinating, but waiting through TSA and then going to the gate and the flight's delayed and just the way that the airlines treat, I think their passengers is not what it was certainly 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, it, it's more like riding a bus now and it, it, it it's a bit taxing when you're flying, you know, on, on average four or five hours, you know, you know, to get there and then back every week. It, it's tough. You're like a traveling salesman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know that they 
like what I'm necessarily selling <laughs> some nights, but yeah. <laughs> Definitely, um, yeah. So with the TV show, I'm curious, um, do you feel like a lot more confident this round? Because I know you, you know, it was kind of new to you and you, they, they brought people in, they brought the guy in that worked on cheers and you guys got along real well and were able to really, you know, build Sullivan's sons into this, you know, uh, really acclaimed show. But do you feel just with your own, um, talents now more confident going into the process this time around? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely an education in terms of going through three years on a television show and, you know, knowing how to pitch a show is definitely important. So I think when you sit in these rooms with these executives, you kind of know what you want to say, you know, uh, the foundation of what it is you're trying to, um, sell, you know, and, and that's, um, and that's having a point of view and knowing point A to point Z, you know, knowing your starting line and your finishing line. Um, where the show is going to go, um, and you want to give your characters a range. So I definitely feel like I have a bit more of, um, uh, uh, you know, just knowledge, I guess, going into it. But there's still always that element of the unknown. You're just not sure how it's going to turn out or work out because, you know, you could you can definitely write what it is you want to write, but then is it going to be executed properly when you're filming it and then in the edits? And then you hope to God the people are receptive of it too. Yeah, there's so many you know variables. Always like with the cast and stuff. Like with Sullivan's son, he had such a great cast, and you know trying to assemble that number of people that are going to work that well in it. You know that's got to be a, a, a tough thing too. I don't think people really realize that. Yeah, it, you know it's um, look at the end of the day though. I got to work with like fascinating, incredibly talented people that I'm still friends with to this day. So no matter the ups and downs professionally or personally, it's like it was a hell of an experience. And one I uh, definitely one of the most gratifying um, aspects of my professional career, for sure. Well, terrific. Sounds like things are going well for you still. Uh, and very anxious to see this documentary. And, uh, of course, you're, you said your new hour is up on Showtime. So or newest hour is up on Showtime. So people go check that out there. Um, I know we're not going to get you back here in Cincinnati anytime soon because you were just here. And I almost hit you. Yeah. Up for, I almost hit you up for tickets, but then our plans changed. Uh, my daughter's sleepover got canceled. Her friend got sick, so we had to. Oh <laughs> uh, well, at any time, honestly, I'll, I'll always take care of tickets. Yeah, for you, no problem. Cool, man. Well, great. Well, uh, probably next year then we'll we'll see you back here uh, in Cincinnati and have fun up in Minneapolis. And um, absolutely, I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Steve. Always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Steve. Bye bye. Thanks again to Steve Byrne for being on the show. You can catch Steve, let's see, April 27th through the 29th at the comic strip in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And uh, he'll probably catch him hockey while he's up there because the Oilers are doing pretty well in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he's at the House of Comedy in Minneapolis, May 4th through 6th, and the Improv in Chicago, June 1st through 3rd. For all of his other dates, of course, just go to stevebyrnelive.com. Get all his dates and deets and all that other fun stuff as well. All right, so uh, that's going to bring us up to the song of the week here. to get to that real quick. Uh, song of the week is from Rag and Bone Man. He is a singer-songwriter from Britain you may have heard of. His song Human was our song of the week uh, about a couple of months ago, I guess. And uh, that song did really well for him everywhere except the United States. It went to number two in the UK. It was top five throughout Europe. Uh, it went to 53 in Canada. It only got to 100 
uh, here in the United States. Uh, the newest single is Skin, and I like this a little better even. There's a bunch of remixes out for it. We're just going to play the album version, though. It got to 17 in the UK. Uh, got to 7 in Australia. has not charted yet here in the United States, although I still think they're working human here in America. Again, uh, mostly on alternative radio. But uh, this is Skin. It's uh, It kind of puts me in the mind of our friend uh, Coleman Hell from Ontario, from uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada. Uh, it's a little bluesier than Coleman stuff, but it also kind of has that uh, gossipy feel to it as well. I think you'll see what I mean here. So here's our song of the week from Rag and Bone Man, Skin, PF's tape recorder. So long and thanks for listening. When I heard that sound, when the walls came down, I was thinking about you, about you. Where my skin grows old, where my breath runs cold, I'll be thinking about you, about you. Seconds from my heart, a bullet from the door, helpless I surrender, shackled by your love, holding me like this, poison on your lips, only when it's over. Silence hit so hard Cause it was almost love It was almost love It was almost love It was almost love When I heard that sound And the walls came down I was thinking about you It was almost, we bleed ourselves.